When you read the Christmas story, you're introduced to this collection of people, various backgrounds, and they add color and dimension to the story. That's probably one of the reasons why nativity scenes are so popular and living nativity scenes and Christmas pageants because you have all of these different stories and all of these different people from various backgrounds who meet in this one story. They come around the person of Jesus in this one story. And that's what we find in Luke chapter 2. We, we read last week about Mary and Joseph and how they went to Bethlehem for a census and they arrived and there was no room for them. And so Christ is born where the animals are kept and placed in a manger. And then in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, the scene shifts, uh, almost like making a movie as the crying of the baby begins to fade, a new scene comes up, not in a stable or a house or a cave or wherever it was, not in a, a small area, but out in an open field. And that's where we meet the shepherds. Luke, cha- uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, keeping watch. That's what shepherds do. They watch. All day, every day, into the evening, making sure the sheep are cared for, making sure they're all accounted for, making sure there's no danger, they watch. Have you ever thought about how tedious it would be to be a shepherd? How much patience you would need? I'm not uh, anti-shepherd or anti-sheep. I've just uh, been that interested in sheep. I mean, they're, they're... Nice for a petting zoo. Uh, it's fun to watch one of them get shaved. You know, a couple of minutes of that. That's great. Uh, sheep don't do tricks. Um, they're just not that interesting to me. And maybe you, you're different. Lions, I get that. I, I watch a lion, elephant, giraffe. I just wouldn't have much patience for sheep. Day in and day out. Have you ever noticed how God in the Bible often sends messages to people who can focus? People who have room, margin, space. People who can be patient. Those are often the people who hear the voice of God like shepherds all day, watching, waiting. In the Old Testament, Moses is a shepherd. He's doing the same thing these guys are doing, and there's a bush that is burning and is not being consumed. And I've always wondered, how long do you have to watch a bush before you know it's not being consumed? I mean, surely this is not the only bush Moses ever saw burn. It's in a dry desert, some area, I'm sure there were often brush fires and bushes on fire, and he probably started some fires. I mean, this was not the only time he'd ever seen a fire before, and most of the time, you notice a fire and then you move on. How long would it take to know it's not burning up? Uh, we, we have a fireplace uh, in our home, wood burning fireplace. We used to make fires in it when it wasn't 76 degrees in December. We love fires. We love to have a wood-burning fire in our fireplace in the wintertime. We have a fire pit in the backyard. 
which is actually just a hole that dug out, and we burn stuff in it. It's, that's, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. It's not like stacked stone, big, beautiful thing. Got nothing against stacked stone. If you have one, I'm envious of you. We have a hole in the ground. We make s'mores. We burn stuff in it. Seen lots of fires. If you're a man, you've seen fire, right? There's something about the male DNA. We just like fire. We like burning stuff and destroying stuff and watching it disappear. How long, if you're Moses, do you have to notice how much patience, how many times do you have to look back to realize this is a bush that's burning, and it's been burning all day, and it's still a bush. It's focused. Fishermen. Are there any more patient people in the world than fishermen? If you don't have some degree of patience and focus, you're not going to fish for very long. The Bible records several times guys like Peter and other disciples who fished all night and caught nothing. It takes a special person to do that. I'm giving you to like midnight. I'm like, we got nothing. We're going to eat. I'm going home to sleep in my bed. And yet, these are the guys that Jesus chose, and, and maybe part of his choosing them was that they can just stay focused. They can, they can be patient. They can wait. They'll sit there all night. I, they're in a spot where I can talk to them. And maybe we have to ask ourselves the question, the question, Christmas 2015, is it possible that we don't hear from God more often because we're too distracted? Because we're not like shepherds sitting in a field. We're not like fishermen sitting all night waiting. We're not like Moses who can keep his attention on a bush and turn away and, and watch it. We, we're so busy. There's so much to do. Maybe that's why we don't hear more from God. I'm not suggesting we'll hear voices out of bushes or or angels will show up and speak to us. But just sensing God's presence, having God maybe say something in us, for us, to us. Maybe unlike the shepherds, we're just too busy. Maybe I don't have the patience to sit and watch sheep. That would give me the opportunity to meet an angel choir. Or the patience to fish all night and catch nothing. So that the next morning I would meet Jesus. Or the patience to notice a bush that's burning but not being consumed. So that I would hear the voice of God. Sometimes it's just slowing down enough. That God can say what he wants to say. That's what happens in the story. Doing what shepherds do. And in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly... A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And we have this odd juxtaposition of beings. 
We have this spectrum of, on the one hand, angels. That's the, the creatures that fill heaven, the creatures that are around the throne of God, the creatures that sing to God and praise God and glorify God in heaven. The closest thing we know to deity that's not deity. Psalm 8 says that we, humans, we were created a little lower than the angels. So the spectrum is God and then angels and then all of us. This is like the next step almost to God. This created, beautiful, brilliant, bright being. So so we have that on one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have shepherds. And, and there, there's a lot of discussion about exactly where shepherds fit in the social status of the day. Some people think that they were despised. Some, some people think that uh, they were kind of the outcasts. And others argue, no, that came along a lot later after Jesus. And I tend to believe that one more so because the Bible often speaks of shepherds as, as humble uh, committed, servant-type people. So, so we have angelic beings, and then at a minimum, we have a, a very humble occupation. What we might think of as an average Joe, right? We, we, we'd call them blue-collar, hard-working. They show up to work. They work all day. They punch the clock. They're dependable. Just kind of your average Joe contrasted with an angel choir because these group of average Joes, they get a visit from heaven, directly from heaven, an angel choir. The Bible doesn't record the wise men, who certainly had a higher social status than the shepherds. The Bible doesn't record the wise men getting this sort of announcement. And it's not because the shepherds were more important necessarily. Perhaps it was just God's way of saying... what. This announcement's for everybody. This announcement's, whatever the spectrum, wherever you put yourself on the social, economic, wherever you, whatever degrees you have and don't have, however you're looked upon by society, wherever you fit into this spectrum, this message is for you. Christmas, the Christ child, and for everyone, regardless of status or title or history, the message comes to everybody. Whether you're in the stable, like right next to Jesus. I mean, we read that Mary and Joseph are there, like they witness Jesus being born. They're in the moment or whether you're out in the field. Whether you're close by, whether you're far away, wherever you find yourself this Christmas, personally, socially, spiritually. Wherever you see yourself in relationship to God, this Christmas, God is saying, I'm bringing this message to you too. A Savior has been born. It's for everybody. The other other message, another message that the, the angels deliver is that this baby that was born in Bethlehem was unique. It's not like every other baby. I mean, it's possible that there were multiple babies born in Bethlehem that night. And so the angels say, look, you cannot miss this one. Because there is only one baby of all the babies born in the world tonight, of all the babies born in Bethlehem tonight, there is only one that has been laid 
in a manger. He is unlike any other child. Not just in his birth, but foreshadowing that this child would be unlike any other person in his life, in his death, in his resurrections. Shepherds, look, you're looking for a specific baby. You're looking for a unique, one-of-a-kind baby. And that message is still true today. Jesus comes not as one of many. Not not as one of a lot of options. Jesus comes as the one and only, born of a virgin, Savior of the world. Jesus is not just another myth. That philosophers have told and storytellers have made up. Jesus is actual person who came in time and space, but not like any other person. The angel's own words said, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This child is different from any other child. Jesus is not the same as Buddha. He's not. Jesus is not the same as Muhammad or the gods of Hinduism or whatever other religious practice there may be. I I know that it, it is less confrontational to say Jesus taught what everybody else taught. All of them are kind of similar. The angels on the night of his birth did not leave that as an option. The angels said, no, this child is unlike any other ever born. Jesus is not one of many options. He's not just another really good teacher who taught really nice moral lessons that we could all learn from. It can make our lives better. No, Jesus, born of a virgin, placed in a manger, is the Savior of the world. Not only does that speak to his distinction. I think the angels were also communicating, look, you'll find him if you want to find him. Like, you can't miss this guy. He's in a manger. No no other baby's in a manger. If you want to find the one that's in a manger, you can find him in Bethlehem tonight. He is available. He's there. He's waiting for you. How many of you consider yourself to be expert Christmas present hiders? You are a really, really good Christmas present hider. Yeah. If you're a really good Christmas present hider, the chances are you became that because you have a really good Christmas present finder in your house, right? Anybody consider themselves like a really good Christmas present finder? Yep, we have some of those. Here's the thing. If, if you're a good Christmas present finder, It's because you go looking for Christmas presents, right? You don't just stumble upon them. I mean, they've made some effort to conceal them, and you search out closets and trunks and attics and everywhere else to find what you're looking for. And and you ruin Christmas for all of us, by the way, if that's you. That's who you are. You find what you go looking for. And the angels are saying to the shepherds, look, if you want to find him, he's easy to find. He's out there. He's identifiable. He's distinct. You're not going to confuse him with some other baby. You're not going to confuse him with some other religious belief. You're not going to confuse what he teaches with anybody else. He is very 
distinct. God did not play Where's Waldo when he sent Jesus into the world, right? God does not send this undefinable, moral kind of figure into the world and say, well, he's just kind of like everybody else. God sent his one and only son who would be the savior of the world, who would teach like no one has ever taught before, who would live like no one has ever lived, who would die like no one's ever died and rise again. If you want to know Jesus, the message of the angels is you know him. He came to be known. He came to be found. And he's not hiding from you or me or anybody else this Christmas. He's out in the open. He may not be where you expected him to be. And he may say some things that you don't expect him to say. He may say some things that are hard for you to to deal with and hard for you to accept. But he's not hiding. He's not trying to fool you this Christmas. And just as one angel finishes this message that Jesus has come and you can find him. And he's unique and he's not like anybody else who's ever come or will ever come. Suddenly, an entire company, entire group. An entire host, we don't use that word very much except at Christmas, a, a host of, of heavenly angels show up in the sky. And for the first time ever, and as far as I can tell, and you can correct me afterwards if you think you've got an example, the only time in human history heaven breaks into earth. The environment of heaven, the atmosphere of heaven, one time in all of history, breaks into earth and brings the worship of heaven into time and space. And it's in Luke chapter 2. Because the angels whose job it is day after day to worship and glorify God step into time and space on a Bethlehem hillside they begin to worship this one and only Savior of the world. They light up the night sky. They say to a group of shepherds, he's here. He's here. And it's worth singing about. It's worth worshiping him about. We can't help but begin to sing about him now that we've told you about him. Our response to him is to bring glory And praise and to thank the Heavenly Father for sending this child to us. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. In other words... After experiencing this moment of heaven's worship breaking into earth, the shepherds did something. They responded. They didn't say, man, I really like the band today. They were like really good. The guitar player was on. Man, those harmonies were cool. They didn't say, ah, they didn't sing my favorite song. I wish they would have done that other one that they always do. I wish they'd sung that. They went, we got to get in on this. We got to be a part of this. We got to find whatever they're talking about because if what they're talking about caused them to do that, then we need to go see it. 
We need to go be a part of it. They obeyed. They acted. They changed. They did something. And one of the questions for us at Christmas is, how is Christmas changing me? How is this Christ child that came? How is he changing the way I respond and what I do and how I'm reacting to what I'm experiencing at Christmas? Am I more fully obeying God because of Christmas? Am I more fully becoming what God wants me to become because of the child that came at Christmas? Am I responding in any way? Am I just listening? Am I just enjoying the music, enjoying the decorations, enjoying the season and the spirit? Or am I becoming more like what God wants for me? Verse 17. When they had seen him, the child, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the story opens up. We got shepherds doing what shepherds do. They're watching. They're keeping. And in the presence of angels appear and they begin to sing and they send them off to find the Messiah. And then at the end of the story, it's the shepherds who have taken on the role of praising and glorifying. In fact, there's been this transformation from the angels to the shepherds. All right, we came to tell you, but now once you see him, it's your job to tell somebody else. They became tellers because of what they had experienced. And this Christmas is the same way. I mean, because of what we experience in Christ, because of what we experience in worship, we leave and become tellers ourselves. We become worshipers ourselves. We take on that role as followers of Jesus this Christmas. I think that's one of the reasons the Christmas season is so identified with music because Music motivates us in a way that few other things do. Music moves us, challenges us, excites us, gets us on board in in ways that few other things do. And Jesus' announcement is accompanied by music and singing. And that singing and meeting the Christ child translates into shepherds becoming singers themselves and tellers themselves and changed completely because of Jesus. Here's what I see happening. Two, Two big things happening in this story. One is the idea that worship, when we sing, when we give glory to God in the highest, when we praise God, the activity of heaven comes to earth. Worship is how the activity of heaven shows heaven up on this planet right now. Worship is happening in heaven. 
I, I, I don't think that when we get to heaven, it's going to be one big worship service, right? Some of you are thankful for that. I don't think it's going to be like church all the time. I think that we're going to have responsibilities and there's going to be other things. The Bible says we're going to eat and there's going to be all kind of awesome things. But worship is the continual environment of heaven because Jesus is there. God is there. The Holy Spirit is there. And they deserve to be worshipped. So there's this environment of continual worship happening in heaven. And one time in history... That environment showed up in the sky, in time and space. Heaven and all of its brilliance and beauty and glory breaks through into earth. When we worship, I'm not going to do it as well as the angel choir did, but when we worship, we are bringing the activity of heaven to earth. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus prayed, um, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's let's get heaven's kingdom more into earth. And part of what that means is we're going to get God reigning over us. We're going to submit to God. We're going to be lifting Him up. We're going to be glorifying Him. When we worship, that's what we're doing. We're bringing the kingdom of heaven more fully to this earth. And 2,000 years ago, the hillside in Bethlehem, a bunch of shepherds. That nobody paid attention to. An angel choir showed up and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to show you how it's done. Like We're going to show you what ought to be happening on earth. So pay attention. And they begin to sing and they begin to glorify. And then guess what, shepherds? It's going to be your turn after we leave because we're not coming back. We'll be in heaven. We'll be ready for you when you get there. We're going to give you a demo of what needs to be going on on earth. This is how we do it in heaven now here. You keep doing that. You keep bringing heaven to earth in the way that you worship, in the way that you lift up God and His Son Jesus and God the Holy Spirit. You keep bringing more of heaven to earth because this is what's happening in heaven. And all throughout history, that's what God's been doing. When it comes to worship, you're saying, all right, it's your turn. Like the angels did at one time. They showed you what to do. They showed you what's happening in heaven. Now you take over. You start singing. You start doing this. The other thing we notice from this, this encounter with shepherds and angels is that when we really worship, it changes us. And it changes. When we enter in, when we, when we don't hold back, when we're, when we're not coming up with excuses, we're not concerned about who's on the left and the right and what somebody's thinking and who's behind us and where all this is leading. When we just enter in, the story of the shepherds is really clear. We're different people after it's over. We love differently. We, we see our calling differently from a hillside in Bethlehem to becoming the voice of God, the tellers and singers and worshipers of God. Shepherds were changed in that moment. And you and I, even though we know the story, even though we've been through these details before, when we open our hearts, when we begin to sing, when we begin to lift God up, many of you have experienced this. You know, it just does something in you. It changes your thinking. It changes your mind. It changes your emotions. It changes how you relate to other people. When you put your heart and your mind and your affection and your thoughts on the great God who is worthy of our worship, it changes us. 
And I'm not suggesting that music is the only way to do that. I'm not suggesting music is the only way to worship. Worship involves our total lives. I totally understand that. But 2,000 years ago, shepherds showed up and said, we got a story to tell you. And after we're done, we can't help but sing about it. And so this is what we do in heaven. And we want you to do more of this on earth. And so let it change you. Let the worship of God in so that the message of God can come out. We're going to just worship for a a, a moment. The band's going to come back after I pray. And let's just say, let's just let's join the activity of heaven. Because this is what's going on in heaven right now. It's the worship of God and his son and the Holy Spirit. So let's let's bring some of that here to Loganville. God, we cannot worship perfectly, but we can worship wholly with our whole selves. We can can take three minutes, and we can sing of your glory and your greatness and your worth. And and that can change us as we bring heaven to earth, as we bring the activity of heaven into this place. It can change us. It can make us new. It can remind us of your great love for us and your great plan for us. Thank you that 2,000 years ago, on a hill in Bethlehem, heaven broke into earth. And it broke into earth with song. Jesus' name.